Welcome to the premiere episode of Lost in the Long Box, the one and only comic book related podcast on FXBG Public Radio. I'm your host, one of three, Randall. Let's introduce our other host. Over here, Madman. You probably know him from his other show, Shock Monkey Radio. Say hello, Madman. Hello, I'm the Madman. Check us out uh, Tuesdays at 6. And my other uh, host, three of three, Thomas. Say hello to tonight's people, Thomas. Hello tonight's people, Thomas. Okay, yes, literally. So, um, what are we going to do? Basically, we are just three comic book nerds that love talking about comics, love reading comics, and then both these two chuckleheads at separate times said, we need to do a comic book podcast. So I'm like, well, okay, if I've got two people coming at me from two different angles, maybe we should just go ahead and do that. Exactly. So... We're going to have a lot of fun with this show. We don't know exactly what the format's going to be from week to week, but we are going to do several things, such as reviewing some comics, which we'll be doing that tonight. We'll probably give some history of our um, love of comics and how we got into them. We're probably also going to revisit some of the old classic comic book stories and do evenings on those and also touch base um, with some of our old love of characters and how they came about in the history of them. And hopefully, going down the road, knock on wood, I have no wood. Uh, I'll use my head. Hopefully, uh, mm-hmm. we'll maybe even get some guest speakers to pop in. Um, so, my friends that were on Facebook, I didn't put this out there. So, if you message me tonight, I might even give you a shout out. All right. So, um, who are we? Well, again, like I said, my name is Randall. Um, and let me tell you how I got into comics and what started this. Um, I'm, I'm an old guy. My introduction to superheroes started with the George Reeves Superman and Adam West Batman. Um, so that's how I knew what superheroes were. Um, I grew up in a little town in North Carolina where there was a country store on the corner and went in there one day and I saw these beautiful four-color things on this spinner rack in the corner. I'm like, what is that? And I went and looked and like, hey, there's that Superman guy from TV and there's that Batman guy from TV. And who are all these other people in here? So that started my love of comics. Um, then we moved up to here to Virginia. And one summer, my uncle came up to work with my dad, had his own poultry shop. And that summer, him and I went to 7-Eleven um, a couple times a week. And if you're on the East Coast in the 70s, you know exactly what the hell 7-Eleven was. You couldn't swing a dead cat and not hit one. <laughs> um, and he went and he bought comics a uh, couple times a week. And when he left... He gave me his pile of comics, which I thought was really nice. awesome. Uh, but the one that did it, the one that hooked me, and I can still remember it because I actually still own the original comic, is Flash number 235. And if you're listening, just Google Flash number 235. Um, and if you get a, the cover of um, a guy dressed in black kicking one of the Flash and punching Green Lantern and another Flash lying on the ground, you found it. That is the one that started my obsession with comic books. I mean, most people can always point to the one character that did it for him, and for me, it was The Flash, um, Barry Allen. So I was obviously one of those people who was just mortified when he died, and they put Wally West in the suit. It took me quite a while for Wally West, but I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll bring that up in some other history down the road. So that's what started for me, and been buying them and reading them faithfully ever since that day. Um, got lucky that both my parents and my spouse 
seemed to accept it and didn't have an issue with it and never told me to grow out of it. So, <laughs> ba-dum-bum. Madman, what got you started? Oh, wow. Um, first, I think it was first, first comic books I ever got were like uh, uh, G.I. Joe comic books because that was really what I was into. When it came to superheroes, it's like, of course, I, I knew about the Adam West. I knew about the George Reeves Superman and, of course, the Superman movies. Uh, I guess I'm a little a little younger than you, so. Um, I am probably the oldest guy in this room. Yeah, so. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I grew up so. with, like, Super Friends and Batman, of course. And I didn't get into superheroes because mostly I was reading, like, G.I. Joe comic books. I like Semper Fi. Um, and then uh, I also read a lot of Archie comic books. You get those digests from the grocery stores and stuff like that. I'm sorry. Uh, look at that. I know that look. Actually, I was going to say those are a guilty pleasure. I yeah. read those, too. Okay, yeah. And so uh, I guess it was in, uh, during the early 90s when they started introdu- introducing new characters. Um, I had collected superhero comic books up to that point. Um, but it, in the 90s when they started coming out with like Darkhawk and Night Thrasher and, and Sleepwalker. Look, I, I, these old guys are all pissed. <laughs> look at you read that all this shit. <laughs> that was when I really started buying a whole lot more comic books. And even though... Those comic book titles weren't exactly the best. They led me into other comic book titles, especially back issues. Because if I, back then, you know, you caught a plot thread in a comic book, you're like, what the hell are they re- referencing here? And then you get the little note. It's like, see, see number 235 for what happened. Absolutely. In and fact, then you'd have to go as seen in comic issue 235, yeah. and then they have the little editor's name there and that's, everything like that. In fact, that's going to be the subject of one of my milk crate um, tirades down the road. Oh, cool deal. Yeah, I, I, I do miss those those little as seen in the previous issue or as seen in such and such issue to yeah, give you a throwback you, to where you needed to go. Exactly. I mean, you could you had to you had to go hunt for that comic book sometime to see what the hell they were talking about, and it was a different era and i mean i just i kind of loved it i loved that people were taking care of the comic books and so i mean i said hey i'm i felt less alone in the world because other people like this stuff too and so that's why i love comic books awesome sauce thomas you're up what did it to you so my earliest memory of him is when my stepmother brought home a short box of marvel comics from a yard sale uh, mostly full of older Spider-Man, so that's where I got my start. Nice. Um, mostly Spider-Man, Marvel tale, Marvel uh, Tales featuring oh, the yeah. old Spider-Man reprints and things like that. <laughs> Spider-Man team-ups and stuff. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Marvel team-up, that sort of thing. Um, most of mine were purchased from the local 7-Eleven from a spinner rack. You know, you went of over, course, over yeah. the 7-Elevens yeah. earlier. They're every, they were everywhere here, and still to an extent are. Um, so that's where I started. Um, like you said, in the nineties, I got into a little bit more of some of the other things. I was a big fan of the new warriors. <laughs> yeah. Speaking yeah. of night thrasher, <laughs> had them love me some of that. I got, I do have a dark Hawk number one in my collection. I, uh, kind yeah, of a guilty pleasure, kind of a too. guilty pleasure. So, but yeah, I, unfortunately I'm one like you, Randy, I don't have the first comic that I ever read to point to. I wish I did, but it was right. like a huge box of, uh, of Spider-Mans that got me into it. And I still love me some Spider-Man to this day. Y- you know, new warriors in, in my mind are single-handedly responsible for beginning the destruction of the Marvel Universe. Oh, you think so? Uh, because, because of Civil War? That'll be Yes, that'll be a discussion for later I on. I thought it was but, Cable. But it, well, <laughs> no. Let's just say Marvel hadn't gone off the tracks with Cable, but the train was starting to shake. It's <laughs> Fair enough. I would agree. Well, those time travelers, they can get kind of, uh, kind yes. of goofy and messed up. All right, so that's who we are, and, and that's how we got into comics. Um, so... The first thing we're going to do this week, we're going to review some stuff, some new stuff that just came out. Um, so that, that's what I do have to ask then. Hey, Madman, Thomas, do you love comic books? Of course we do. Yeah. Of course you do, because you're awesome. 
So, of course, you get your comics from Gateway Comics and Toys that all the awesome people do. Gateway, can, Gateway Comics and Toys is located at 2368 Plank Road in Fredericksburg and are open 11 to 7 on Monday through Saturday and 11 to 5 on Sundays because Gateway Comic Toys is awesome. It's awesome. It's awesome. Find them on social media at GW Comics because it's awesome. It's awesome. awesome. Or physically go there just east of 95 and Route 3 across from Bob Evans because 90 and Route 3 are, say it. Awesome. awesome. Not so uh, much. Awesome. It might get no, a little more. Really. Uh, it might get a little more awesome now that you're finally <laughs> fixing the traffic snafus there. Um, so go into Awesome Comics and tell them that Lost in the Long Box sent you. Speak to Ed because they're awesome. Tell them we are. We think they're awesome. That's and, right. And and of course, uh, all all comics that we are reviewing were supplied by Gateway Comics because they're awesome. Because they are right. awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Gateway Comics. All right. So um, I'll guess I'll go first with my review. So. These are books that came out just last week, kiddos, so you can probably still find them on, on the, the shelves racks, at yeah. your LCS, um, Gateway Comics, or if you're not in the Fredericksburg, probably your LCS, wherever you're at. Um, my review is actually a bit of a two-part. I'm reviewing one book, but it touches back to one that actually came out last month, and I know some are scratching their head already going, what the hell? So here's the deal. Um, I'm actually going to be reviewing... Um, the Dreaming, number one, from the new revitalized Sandman universe. This is one I was uh, really hoping to he hear about. This is one I was looking forward to. Okay. I will actually let you borrow this when I'm done with it mm -hmm. um, because this one's actually my personal copy. Um, so anyway, um, for those of you not familiar, DC back in the 80s um, started a series called Sandman. Right. And about maybe... 15, 20 issues in, midway through the run, it became part of the Vertigo line, which was their more mature adults line. Um, Neil Gaiman wrote it, had a great reviews on both for the character of Dream and, of course, Death. Um, and I think Death was actually goth before goth became huge like it was. She might indirectly be responsible Arguably for Arguably started goth. Goth, the goth movement. Right, I was just going to say. <laughs> um, so the Sandman universe and all those subsequent titles have gone long ago since maybe late 90s, early 2000s. Um, well, he recently had a brainstorm, um, probably generated by the flash of money from DC Comics. <laughs> to <laughs> that bring gets back, my brain working. <laughs> exactly, to bring back that universe. So last month, there was actually a one-shot called um, Sandman Universe. And in that one-shot, um, we got to meet all the characters of the upcoming titles within the Sandman Universe. So we got to see... Um, Lucian and um, Kane from the old Secrets of Haunted House. We got to see um, the Raven, um, Matthew, which I honestly don't know what series he's from. Which, by the way, I need to give you all a disclaimer. I was not a fan of the Neil Gaiman universe. Simply, yeah, because, simply because I hadn't been reading them. Um, so my exposure to the horror comics, particularly from D.C., came from the old books such as Secrets of Haunted House or right, um, right. Unexpected. So that, those the, are the ones I liked. Yeah. So those are the ones I know. So I didn't read any of the Neil Gaiman Salmon universe. I did read Death, The High Cost of Living because, let's face it, I was a teenager and Death was a hot goth chick. So, I mean, who's not going to read it, right? <laughs> but anyway, so, so in – in the Sandman universe, we are bringing back all those old characters um, from both the Neil Gaiman universe of the Sandman and bringing back some of those characters from, like, Secrets of Haunted House, um, particularly, like I said, Lucian and Kane. You get to see them at the beginning of it. Um, so that first part of the book, or that first book, goes through all those different universes to set up the forthcoming title. So the title that I read um, was The Dreaming, number one, which came out just last week. 
Um, and I do have to give a little plug here. It's written by Simon Spurrier and artist by Bilquis Evely, which if you guys are listening at some point down the road, I apologize. Please don't hit me with a bat if I mispronounce uh, <laughs> your names. Um, so um, this one actually opens up pretty much where the Sandman Universe one-shot um, ended. We see um, Lucian sitting on a set of steps, and it looks like he's holding um, the helm of the Master, um, which in this case, for future reference, the Master is Dream, and it's Dream of the Endless, which are the seven entities that in Neil Gaiman's universe are actually probably older and more powerful than the gods themselves. Um, and the problem going on is that apparently Dream has left his realm. He's no longer there to oversee things, and things are starting to run amok. Um, things are going wrong within the endless or within the, the dreaming uh, landscape. Um, the one thing that seems to really be um, a concern is there's a character named Dora. Um, I, I have to resist the temptation. To call, I, I have to resist the temptation to call her Dora the Explorer, but she's got these wings coming off the side of her head, which I don't know what that is all about. Um, also, if any listeners out there know these characters that I'm talking about and I miss something, do not hesitate to send me a text and say, uh, Randy, you've got this wrong. It's This character is actually from this book or what have you. I, I don't mind at all. Um, but anyway, um, as Lucian is sitting there with the helm of the master, he's being contacted by Matthew, who is basically a raven, and I'm assuming that he is some type of seeker and has ability to jump between realms. Because in our first book, Sandman Universe, that's exactly what he does. He's sent to find the master because all kinds of things are going wrong and all the other realms are like, you need to deal with this. You know, we've, we're basically getting the um, equipment of portal rifts. So as we're doing this, we find out that one of the things that's going horribly wrong. I want to see the comic. Oh, okay. Can is that one of the things that's going wrong is Dora, our little friend Dora Explorer, has two unique abilities. Um, number one, actually, let me rephrase that. She has three unique abilities. Number one, she seems to actually be able to interact with people within their dreams. Um, most people, when they're having a dream and a dreaming, um, they're just basically living out their dream, and the, the residents of the realm are viewing it as as if it's being played by a movie. But Dora seems to have the unique ability to actually interact with these individuals. She also apparently has the ability to also partake of any food or drink or fleshly pleasures that they may be conjuring up in their dream. Because in the previous book, Sandman Universe, it's even commented on how can she see you and how are you eating that? You know, you're not supposed to be able to interact it, interact with these people. The other thing that's happened going to be... Um, really concerning for them is she has ability to leap between all the realms which is a big no-no um but what she seems to be doing when she's dropping between these realms is she's actually stealing the dreams of these people in these realms and she's keeping them for herself now we haven't been revealed yet why she's doing this other than the fact that that is a big no-no and it's causing concern for a lot of people in all these other realms. In fact, one of the other characters who I, I don't know, I don't, don't remember his name, but it's the gentleman with a pumpkin head. So anybody listening who knows who the pumpkin head creature is in these in these books, um, if you want to go ahead, drop me a line, let me know who that is. He shoves it to tell Lucin that, you know, she's stealing dreams, you know, other people's dreams, and, and that's bad. Now, I'm not going to give away what happens because I want you to go buy the book. <laughs> but... Suffice it to say that it quickly becomes um, relevant, not relevant, it quickly becomes, what's the word I'm looking for, Madman? Help me. Obvious what the issue is with her being able to jump realms and stealing these dreams, and that obviously there's going to be a major 
blow up if this doesn't get resolved. And this all stems from the fact that Dream, the master of the realm, is gone and has left Lucian in charge, and he literally does not know how to handle this. Um, so that's part of the story in a nutshell. Again, I'm not giving you the rest of it because I would like you to go buy the book and support Gateway Comics and Toys, who supply these comics to us. Um, so now, what did I think of the book? Um, actually, it was really good. Um, what I like about it is the fact that you don't need previous knowledge of the characters who jump right into the story. I think that's always important. Right. Um, there's been too many times you pick up a book, you start reading it, and you get three pages in, you go, like, I, I don't know no what the hell, I don't know who on, these yeah. characters are or what the hell's happening. Um, and this book starts off great because you literally see him, Lucius, sitting on the steps of this library holding um, the master's helm, and he's literally talking about everything that's going wrong when Matthew the Raven shows up and says, hey, Lucian, we got problems, and and then it cuts to Dora, and we see Dora come out of her little tree that she lives in and immediately starts hopping between realms. So it's a great setup. You don't have to know who the characters are. It obviously helps if you have previous history with that. Um, and I would also suggest if you're going to pick up The Dreaming, number one, do yourself a favor and pick up Sandman Universe number one as well because it does set up all the characters from the, the series that are going to come running out of this. I know that there's going to be The Dreaming. There's going to be The Books of Magic. Um, I don't know what else there is. I think there's probably six or seven titles um, slated for this entire um, run, and that's my bad for not doing my homework and getting them all. But um, it comes from the Mind and Neil Gaiman, so he obviously wrote the first one, but he's not the, the writer on the individual series, but he's obviously the driving force behind them. Um, now, <clears throat> having mentioned what I like about this series, now comes a point where I have to mention what I dislike about this series. Okay, the series. Okay, yeah, this is what I'm waiting for. Go ahead. And, and this is funny. Um, I'm going to give it um, three word balloons only because this is a first issue, and I actually felt um, it could have benefited from more pages, to be honest. I think we could have seen more of what Dora's doing. We could have seen more of the other realms. Um, there is a confrontation in here that um, gets resolved a little quickly for my taste. Um, I'm hoping that um, Simon Spurrier is going to come back to that confrontation and expound on it. Um, but yes, I, I'm usually not um, a fan of the oversized number one. But in this case, I actually felt it could have benefited from it. Just for a little bit more backstory. Exactly. I, I think that the story was rich enough that he could have easily expanded by another 10 pages. and and giving us a lot more setup for it. Easy for you to say. You don't have to draw it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. You, all you got to do is read it. Meanwhile, the artist is like, shut up, man. Yeah, That's shut up, man. For me. <laughs> all right. So oh, that goodness. is my review. Sandman, the dreamy, or Sandman Universe, the dreamy number one. Um, how, many, how many word balloons? I give this one three word balloons. Out and of out of five word balloons. Okay. Um, and I would actually suggest if you pick this one up, also pick up Sandman Universe, the one shot that is setting everything up. Very good. And the character you're thinking about, his name is Merv Pumpkinhead. Merv, yes, there you Merv go. It is Merv. I, I remember now. Merv is mentioned um, by name in the book, and it's Merv Pumpkinhead. Merv Pumpkinhead. And I can assume that he is the master of one of the other realms. My understanding is Dream of the Endless is the master of the Dreaming Realm, mm -hmm. and there are other realms with other masters, but they all answer to him, to, to Dream. And it's pretty obvious to all of them that, hey, he's gone, the boss isn't here, and you've got stuff blowing up. Someone needs to fix this. And, and Merv tells him, you know, not, or it's either Merv or Matthew tells him, you know, don't want to be mean, Lucius, but, Lucian, but you can't handle this. <laughs> yeah, it's probably Matthew. Matthew was kind of his right-hand raven during the original series, right. the original and Sandman and series. And actually, it's, I'm glad you said it because in Sandman Universe, 
Uh, Matthew is actually kind of covering when they're asking where the boss is at, and he's kind of blowing smoke up all the other Endless's rear ends about he's being busy, and then finally has to admit, okay, I don't know where he is. He's on vacation. Yeah. And, and you find out that his vacations tend to last like, you know, like decades. Yeah, very long time because, you know, he's Endless. Yeah. Right. All right, so that's my review. Thomas, we're going to hit you next and review your book. Okay. Well, I had uh, The Fantastic Four number 1, the reboot from here from 2018. Um, I grew up as a Spider-Man and X-Men kind of guy, so I really did not have a lot of exposure to the Fantastic Four growing up. I had a few comics here and there, so this was kind of new for me. Um, our comic book is written by Dan Slott and Sarah Pacelli, and looks like it's writ- uh, inked by Sarah Pacelli with Elizabeth D'Amico, and Marty <coughs> Marte Garcia gives us our color artist. So apparently at some point in time, the Fantastic Four disappeared. Reed Richards and Sue disappeared with the kids. Um, that goes back to the last Secret Wars. The last Secret Wars? Yes. Um, quick history lesson. After Secret Wars, Doom got control and created Battleworld. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the story, um, when Reed Richards restored the, the proper world, he decided that the world doesn't need the FF. So him, Sue, and the kids went exploring um, and sent Johnny and Thing back to Earth. But as far as Thing knows, Reed and Sue actually died. Ah, okay. Yes, I got. I picked that up from the story itself that they that they felt that Reed and Sue were dead, or at least Thing did. Johnny seemed to think that they were coming back, as far as the uh, from what he's saying here. Um, a good thing about it is I didn't know what was going on with them, why they disappeared, or anything like that, and I didn't need to. The story didn't require me to have that knowledge. You know, it guided me through everything. It was a good number one issue, is to you know let you know where everything was going. This is um you know. Of course, like I said, Ben believes they're never coming back. They're dead. Johnny believes they are coming back. You get some guest shots from some former uh, Fantastic Four members in here. Um, you know, Jennifer Walters shows up, Medusa, Luke Cage, you know, you know, for brief appearances here and there. So that was really nice shout out to the, some of the older older I, stories. I, I love that there's that whole scene between Jen Walkers and Wyatt. And, mm-hmm. and basically, you get you, you're basically told that the two of them used to bump uglies. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that, that they were formerly a couple, um, so, which was great. It was really weird seeing Jen Walters in here as you know Jen Walters and not the She-Hulk, but right. that was cool and on its own. Um, I liked the art. I thought it was I thought it was good. Maybe not you know the greatest I've ever seen, but certainly not the worst. It was very good. Um, there's also a really nice, I don't want to, you know, tell too much about the plot here. I think we all know that the Fantastic Four is coming back, so you know that it's leading to that. But, you know, I don't want to get into too details, because like Randy says, I want you to go out and buy the book from Gateway Comics and Toys. Um, there's also a nice backup story with Dr. Doom and Latveria. I'm, again, I'm not really sure what was going on with him prior to this. It looks like he'd been deposed at one point as the leader. So, I, like I said, I haven't kept up with that too much, so that was interesting. There's a whole... Side story where, well, not side story, a, a whole other series where Doom for a brief moment becomes a good guy, and I'm I'm using air quotes on that, everybody, mm-hmm. because he gets but a he's version. Still he gets a version of the Iron Man armor, mm-hmm. um, and unfortunately, Iron Man was such a muddled mess because there was like at least three of them. There was Doom, and then Riri, and then Tony Stark himself. So ah. But I, I like this book. I thought it was a good book. I thought it was a good number one to get things uh, going again. Um, you, know, you know, since we're going on bubbles three out of five, I think that's probably about right. It's about three out of five. It was an oversized issue. You know, 
for the for the number one to have those two backup stories. I'm interested to see where things are going to be going here with Doom and what he's going to be doing, and interested to see how the uh, Fantastic Four are going to get back together. I'm I'd definitely be interested in picking up uh, issue two to see where it goes. It, it was a good book. Okay. That's awesome. Cool. Now, I am going to do a, a Lumberg on you and say, yeah, I'm going to have to go ahead and disagree with you there, Thomas, because I've read this issue also. Uh-huh. And i tell you what my problem with this book is. Marvel is currently doing another Marvel two-in-one series. Mm-hmm. And the whole premise behind that is Ben Grimm has a device that lets him travel through the other dimensions. And he basically... Gave it. He got it from Reed Richards and was told, "Keep exploring. Don't forget the original mission of the EFF." He has led Johnny to believe that they're going to go find Sue and Reed, knowing that they're dead. Um, that series has been really great, and I felt that Fantastic Four number one should have been a setup in Marvel two and one for a bigger premiere issue. Mm-hmm. Um, Marvel's Fantastic Four are their first family. They're the ones that basically oh, they started it off. Saved that. I don't want to say saved that company, but doesn't make them good characters. It, it's it saves it saves Stan Lee's career. Basically, he was about yeah. ready to take off before he wrote that. And I felt that the return of the of their first family, especially when they'd been gone for so many years, needed to be a big a bigger monumental event than as it was portrayed in this issue. So for me, this felt like a filler issue of Marvel Two and One that should have led to a bigger premiere in Fantastic Four One. But that's 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 only because Marvel Two and One. Who, which I think is being written by Chip Zardaski. I'd have to Google that because I think I might get the name wrong. That's an excellent book. Mm. And if you haven't read those, it's only up to issue nine. I would say pick up the back issues of that because that's a fantastic book. In fact, I might actually just lend them to you and say, here, read this, and then you'll understand why I'm disappointed with oh, that. Oh, yeah, I definitely, definitely <laughs> like to check them out. I mean, I this to me, it, la- it leads up to them coming back. I'm thinking we're going to get something bigger and grander in the next issue. Um, you know, like you said, this seems like more of a setup to bring Reed and Sue back than anything else. So, you know, the next issue, maybe we'll get something bigger and grander like you wanted. Well, and and that's just... Crybaby. Uh, yes, I am a crybaby. <laughs> here's, here's my thing. He just likes his Fantastic Four. Yeah, right. Well, I think any number one for any book needs to come out swinging for the fences. There, there needs to be a, an oh, wow, that makes me want to pick up issue two, and I didn't get that with this book. Well, I'd agree with you on most of that, but... These are established characters that have been around for years. This is the Fantastic exactly. Four. This isn't like Darkhawk or the New Warriors. <laughs> Look at him. He's or, cringing. Or, or oh, is it, we'll make him cringe even further. Sleepwalker. I love Sleepwalker. I can do a Sleepwalker okay. better than I can Darkhawk. Okay, but yeah, it's not, one, it's not one of those. my face pucker. It's not one of those characters that you know, we've, we've never seen or heard from before. It's the Fantastic Four. You know, right. Like you said, they're Marvel's first family. I mean, you know, it, I don't think it's necessarily needed as much for them as it might be you know, a smaller, minor character. But Additionally, that's not how stories work. You know, stories uh, gradually lead to a crescendo. So I don't want gradual crescendos. Uh, if, at issue one is it, it was a dark and stormy night, you know. <laughs> there you go. That's the greatest was, line ever. It right was there. the best right. of times. It was the worst of times. So right. That's issue one. So I mean, that's just the nature of how stories work. All right, I, I will concede that point with with one exception. Those are great literature. This is a four dollar comic book. I I'm not six dollar comic book. Not, okay, now are I'm you saying <laughs> they're not in the same league. I'm not saying some comics can't be great literature. Go back and look at The Watchmen, or or Mouse. Um, those are great books, but when you're trying to capture an audience that hasn't seen this book in a while, and let's and let's be honest, Fantastic Four has had a horrible last few years, 
It's, it's had trouble finding an audience. It's had trouble finding writers to make it pop. And Dan Slott has done fantastic work over the last few years on Spider-Man. And I just felt, knowing his what he's capable of, this had to, had to have more of a pop. But again, we'll see what issue two brings. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely interested in issue two. I I will I will most likely read that and uh, see what goes on with it. I I, I want to see where it goes from here. All right, cool. Madman, you're up. Unless you had more comments on FF. I I just don't think that the Fantastic Four are a very interesting group. Wow. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Sorry. Make sure you send all the hate mail to Mad Men, not to Thomas and I. Yeah. <laughs> Am I pissing off some you We happen have... to love FF. Okay, excuse me. <laughs> I just, I don't think they're interesting characters. That's that's my point. It's like, that's why I could never get into them, you know, and read them. It's just. Well, everybody's entitled to an opinion. Fair enough. Even you know, when they're wrong. Even opinion. when they're wrong, you know, it's okay. <laughs> all right. Mad Men, what did you review this week? Uh <clears throat> This is a Jinx World book. Uh, it's cover number one by the legendary uh, Brian Michael Bendis and David Mack. Um, let's start with the art. <laughs> Damn, it's got to start with the art. Start with the art. <laughs> okay. I I do like Mack's art. Uh, it's it's um, but simple when it needs to needs to be, and it's complex when it needs to be, and I do like that. However. There are pages in here in this book where I felt it was um, a little bit repetitive or even, dare I say, uh, self-pleasuring, you know? Oh. Wow. <laughs> okay. okay, I might have to read this book. <laughs> be be not because it was just a series of images that are like watercolor, and he'll do it over and over again. And it's just like, this, this seems a little bit repetitive. You know, it's a, it's a comic book. It has a limited number of pages. Tell me the story. And he's wasting panels, basically. Yes, basically wasting panels. And that I don't like. Um, the story is kind of interesting and a little bit meta. And I like it because uh, because of the legends who are attached to this. You know, you got Bendis and Mac on it. And uh, it starts out in a Comic-Con, you know. Oh. And the main character is an artist for a comic book company. And it's... Uh, it seems like it's a. These two guys got together. Bendis and Matt got together, and they started talking about. It, it was like we really. It's like come up with a bunch of jo Comic Con jokes that artists tell each other. It's stuff like that. artists and writers tell each other in between sessions and signing so autographs. Almost the, the birth of this book started at SDCC. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. And so, uh, and it's interesting because the main character, uh, there's a, a woman who comes up to him at the Comic Con and like drops a bunch of money on a uh, his his products. And he's like, oh, that's awesome, you know, and stuff like that. And she's like, oh, yeah, I follow you on social media. I love your stuff and so forth. And, uh, it, she gets a little stalkerish, you know. It's like right off the bat, you just like that's a little bit stalkerish, you know. And But he's like, well, she is cute, you know. And so, uh, but then he goes to another con, you know, and she shows up again, drops more money and says, hey, you know, uh, uh, why don't we go out to dinner? Right, and uh, it's at this dinner where it kind of goes off the rails. It, it stops becoming a a, a truish story into a artist's fantasy, all right, a comic book artist's fantasy, all right, because they're sitting there over dinner and they're they're, he's, they're she's talking about his work and uh, how much she loves it and stuff like that, and then she just casually drops, oh yeah, I'm a CIA analyst, you know, super casually, super casually, and he's like, oh well, what that's what's that like? And, and she's like, oh, well, tell me more about your work. And 
She's very kind of secretive about it because CIA analysts, this is what they do. They'll go to dinner with some guy at Comic-Con. And By the way, I'm, right. I'm in CIA. And she wouldn't tell him that she worked for CIA because even the analysts are usually put on some type I of know, right? security protocol. I know, right? right? And so um, he gets this uh, uh, offer to go to a Comic-Con in Istanbul. Right. What? <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's unique. That is unique. I don't think I've ever heard of a Comic-Con in Istanbul. Do they even know what comics are in yes, Istanbul? Yes, uh, they do. Yes, they do. Uh, <clears throat> oh, what happened is at the dinner is that they, uh, they're sitting there having this conversation. So, so t- you're an analyst. Tell me what that's like. And he's like, no, tell me about your work. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry. i got to take this call. And then she never came back. Right? She took the call, and he had to pay for dinner and everything. He was mad because it's an expensive restaurant and stuff. And so... Uh, <clears throat> he ends up taking this uh, this gig to go to the Comic Con in Istanbul, and I'm gonna since I want you to go buy that comic from you're not gonna go and get it th- from where from where? Gateway Comics <laughs> and Toys, <laughs> who are awesome. They but, are awesome. Uh, by, by the way, Ed, I expect a nickel for every time we say that store's names, and you're up to like fifty cents now. <laughs> give, it, give it, give us a nickel for every every everybody, everybody comes in the store going, "You're awesome." <laughs> exactly. So uh, it's kind of interesting. Would I go and buy issue number two? Am I that interested in what how the story continues from here? No. Mm. The art is beautiful. Uh, I think that the writing and the art um, do catch a rhythm in the number of pages you're given in the issue number one. And it does work. The pacing of it works. However, I feel like with the... With a three ninety nine cover price and a finite number of pages, I don't want to see wasted panels. Right. Tell me the story. Right. And actually, that seems to be a, a huge thing with Bendis and, and the artists he works with. Yeah. Is he's going for the film uh, noir look? Yes. Where he wants to set do a it's, setting. It's very cinematic kind of. And it works yeah. great when you actually have moving pictures and establishing it. Yeah. But. When you're looking at a comic, any more than two panels of non-action is a waste of panels. Um, yeah, um, you remember like there were those old Batman books where it would just be it would be text, right? You would have text on the page and on the in the on the sides of the page you would have little uh, little drawings of different scenes that are in that text that you're reading. Right, right. And I, those are some of my favorite Batman stories were uh, topics that are handled like that. You don't necessarily need to tell a visual story every single second at a time through through the eyes of a camera lens. You know, you can, you can take a single drawing and put a lot of words on it, like a splash page right. level drawing right. and put a lot of content in that. So, I mean, on one drawing. But, you know, you got eight drawings of Comic-Cons of, I mean, seriously, the first three pages. I, I was of, noticing yeah, that. It's just like filler. It's just to set, give you the setting. They're at a Comic-Con. This is an artist at a Comic-Con. Three pages just to set that up. And I, I, I feel a little disappointed. And if I had bought this comic, I would feel a little cheated. I, I get that. Well, here's the thing, too. Um, for anyone who's never read Bendis, he tends to do that with any of his non-superhero books. Yeah. Um, he did it in Alias, um, but it worked great in Alias. I, I will give it his props. In Alias, it worked really good. Um, he did it with, um, well, that doesn't really qualify because it involves superpowers, but Powers itself was a good book, especially the very first arc, Who Killed Retro Girl, which, by the way, um, people, um, since Bendis has now jumped ship from Marvel to DC, 
DC is going to be republishing a lot of his earlier stories in trade format. So if you haven't nice. read um, Bodies or Powers, they're very soon, they might even be on the shelf now, are coming out with more with new trade uh, paperback reprints of those. I would highly recommend Powers. Powers was a fantastic yeah, I, series. I read Powers. That was really um, good. I read that when it was originally um, at Image and Ho- first yep. arc, Who Killed Retro Girl. Those were great. And unfortunately, when he moved to Marvel and Icon, I thought they kind of screwed it up there. Um, same thing with Alias. I loved Alias. It was great. And then he killed that book at Marvel and started with that crap follow-up, The Pulse, which, you know, I would use <laughs> I haven't that. read any of those. Oh, that yeah. was horrible. Yeah. I, I, It wasn't fit to line bird cages. Wow. Wow. <laughs> okay. Scathing. But so that is that is one thing with Bendis. His non-superhero books, he tends to get he tends to get very artsy with the writing. And you feel like telling him, look, man. Just tell me the story. Don't tell the artist to waste two pages because you want to set a theme. Uh, I didn't get that feeling from this book that where he was getting too artsy with the writing. Um, I did feel that like the conversations that happened between characters in the book were very genuine. I think that these, this is the way people talk, and I think he captured that very well. I, I think that there's a reason why he's like a modern legend when it comes to comic books is because you know, he is good at his job. And, and I think is. that the, all the conversations that happen between characters are very realistic. Right. And, and I will say I'm probably one of the few people who loved his Avengers Disassembled storyline. I know it ag- angered like 90% of Marvelites after, but I thought that was a fantastic story. Plus, um, I found out that he's also a fan of The West Wing, which was a big win in my book because West Wing's a fantastic show. Yes, I am plugging a non-comic book-related um, item. If you haven't watched The West Wing, get off your ass, go out, get season one. And This then is why I want to do a comic book show. You'll thank me later. <laughs> I didn't want to do a politics show with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, real quickly here while we're talking, I do want to give a shout-out to our buddy Tom, who's been texting me. He's listening. Thank you, Tom. Thanks for listening, Tom. Thanks for listening, Tom. Yeah, tell all your friends to listen to our new show. Subscribe through FXBG Public Radio. All right, yep. so and listen to us every week. I don't know what we're going to be reviewing next week, because, um, <laughs> honestly, I haven't picked them up yet. <laughs> <laughs> Well, to be honest, I mean, you keep bringing me stuff with Bendis and Mac. I'll probably read it. Okay. So, yeah, you will probably be the poor guy who's – because I know he's going to be doing <clears throat> at least three or four series at, at DC. Um, they know they got the cash cow, so they're going to ride him for all he's worth. Well, yeah, yeah. I'm sure they paid a pretty penny to get him to come oh, over yeah. too. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. Well, there is rumor slash speculation that part of the enticement to get him there was they're going to let him have a little creative input in the DCEU. Um, in the movies, which is something he was trying to get at Marvel and supposedly wasn't getting any access to. Now, that's probably been, a good idea. Hasn't? Yeah, right. I was going to say, I, I, I wholeheartedly yeah. not a good idea. Um, but that hasn't played out. If we start seeing his name pop up on any credits of the TV show or the movie, right. then I might start worrying. Well, it depends on how involved he gets. Right. Well, and I tell you what, another good indication of this, because it just popped in the back of my head, Jeff Johns who's actually been one of the creative forces behind their movies and TV yeah. is actually stepping out of that to concentrate more on writing now. So that might be the, the writing on the wall that there's a shakeup going on there. It very well could be. And yeah, I hear he's coming back with the new Shazam series and I am really looking forward to that. Yes. That, I'm looking forward to Shazam also. And Tom King, cause you know, I love me some Tom King. Um, I believe is going to be doing a new booster gold miniseries when he wraps up Mr. Miracle. And yeah, and you know I'm the big Booster Gold guy. Exactly. So, love me some Booster Gold. Hopefully, if love we're me some Booster Gold hopefully too. if we're still around, um, come um, March, I guess it is when mm-hmm. Awesome Con rolls around, um, we need to see about going up there and getting an interview with Tom King. Um, 
So I can easily see that happening, especially if I go up on Mr. Miracle because he, he loves my Mr. Miracle. Yes, I'm plugging my own self. Thank you. A little self-promotion never hurt anyone, right? right? Exactly. That's uh, yeah, that's all right. I mean, I've I've never gone to a comic con. I've never gone to. I've never dressed up. I mean, there's only like three characters that somebody of my body type can play. So <laughs> you can be anything you want. That's right. It doesn't uh, matter. The only the only convincing quote unquote comic book character I've ever pulled off was Doctor Henry Killinger from Venture Brothers. Wow. Okay. See, I've never dressed up before, but I do enjoy going to a good comic con. So we'll have to try to get you out to Awesome Con with us this year. It's a lot of fun. But yes, I hate people. Well, you know, there is that problem. Um, because we'll figure it out before March, right? Exactly. All right, so that was our reviews for this week. Now we're going to um, jump into a, a new segment here that we'll probably be doing. Um, I don't know if we're going to do it every, every week, um, but I know that we've got one for this week, and I've got a two-parter for next week. Um, this is our segment called um, Jumping on the Milk Crate. Um, so... For those of you who have read comics like us and grew up with them, um, in the 60s and 70s and part of the 80s, one of Stan Lee's um, letter columns in the back of every Marvel was Stan's Soapbox. Now, a soapbox is actually where are supposed to jump up on it and address um, political crowd. ills, yeah. a, a social out injustices. That's Stan never used it for that. <laughs> <laughs> no. The Stan no. actually used it to plug Marvel Comics, which doesn't really make it a soapbox. It makes it, you know, self-promotion. Yeah. Sh um, shameless self-promotion. Exactly. Yep. Plug so in. we're going to steal that and we're going to the jump on the milk crate because I don't want to use a soapbox because I think he actually has that Copyrighted? Copyrighted, right. You can't copyright soapbox. I don't want to get an Excelsior across my head. <laughs> uh, you can't copyright soapbox. <laughs> I'm just saying. Every time somebody says, get off of your soapbox, that Stanley gets a nickel? How's that work? Well, see, now you just owe Stanley 10 cents, taken from the 50 that Ed owes us for Gateway oh. Comics and Toys, 55. Yeah, the, um, check's <laughs> in the, the check's in the mail, Stan. Anyway, so I don't want to just blatantly steal Soapbox. So we're making Jump on the Milk Crate, and it's going to be commentary on what we see going on in the comic marketplace, whether it be comic books or comic-related movies or TV shows or any other thing. The, one of the things we're going to plan on doing here at Lost in a Long Box is if it is anyway related to comic books, um, we're going to discuss it. And we're not going to focus only on superheroes, although, let's be honest, yes, mostly 60 to 70% of yeah. the market is superheroes right now. Right. So if I wanted to say uh, uh, Iron Fist Season 2 sucks, you that, actually, this, is, this is the time to do it? That's exactly the time to do okay, it. That's all I really need to say about that. Iron, so okay. We could change the subject now. I heard Iron Fist Season 1 sucked too, so it's glad. Yeah. That <laughs> yeah. Now, see, I heard that Season 2 was much better than the first one. It doesn't take much. I haven't seen the entire first one. I only saw the first three or four episodes. <laughs> Madam was like, they didn't um, set the bar Meant to come high. back to it. Haven't, but I heard season two was a definite upgrade. I, I'm, so. just, I'm just glad that the immortal Iron Fist is gender fluid. Oh. Okay. Now hmm. you got to go watch it, right? Yeah, now i got to see what you're talking about. I have no <laughs> idea what you're talking about, so I guess I'll have to go check it out. And those of you who have seen it are probably laughing your asses off right, right about now. So, for our first episode of Jumping on the Milk Crate... Thomas is going to take lead on this because he would like to discuss something um, that I think has interfered with his comic collecting, and he's, he's a little bitter about it. Is it acetone? 
No, it's the cost these days. Oh, okay. Yeah, three ninety nine a book. The one that I was reviewing today was yeah. was five ninety nine a book. Oh, that for, the, for the Fantastic Four one. Oh, it's for just, the big for the big name Marvel, the, right? Right. Well, that was a double sized. In its defense, that was a you know bigger than normal issue. How it many was pages a, it was, was that? like it? Was it? I honestly longer didn't than count, mine? but it was longer than yours. Oh, yes, okay. It definitely was longer. Well, fair than enough, yours. I guess. I think their regular price comics are three ninety nine. Um, that's one of the main reasons why I don't you know go out and buy new books a lot these days because you know it's it's not cheap when i was collecting i was you know getting about you know 15 comics a week or so and at 3.99 a piece yeah yeah that stacks up really right and where i did enjoy that book and want to see where it's going i mean it only took me about 15 minutes to read right so you know 15 minutes for six bucks it's just you know a bit much so well not to mention too if you pick up a monthly poll at an lcs LCS's local comic shop, for those of you who don't know, I'm, I'm sure there's people out there scratching their head going, what the hell is LCS? Um, if you pick up a, a monthly pull at your comic shop and you're averaging anywhere from 40 to $60 a month, um, you've bought yourself maybe 45 minutes of entertainment after you've read them all. Right. Um, in a video game, you get hours compared hours, to yeah. minutes. Um, and so there's the problem. Um, so... And it is hard for me, who is a regular collector, to keep buying new stuff to the point that I have even considered why don't I just dump new stuff and concentrate solely on older stuff, bronze and silver. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think I think that's kind of the issue, though, is that um, the front end cost is so much higher than the return at the end. Exactly. Now. Well, and that's where I am right now. I mean, I I don't buy the modern stuff i'd save up my money for awesome con each year and for get some good silver age back issues and stuff i do have a subscription to marvel unlimited so i can you know if you i can read read there yeah i I can read whatever i want there i mean new books are six months behind but you know i'm fine with that now i can't tell you i was actually in the boat of when it comes to marvel i'm down to maybe two titles i think currently three ff keeps going do the math in my head i'm on it at three titles um i was actually really really coast close coast i was really close to dropping dc comics um which is really hard for me because i cut my teeth on dc you heard my of course the one that did it for me was flash 235 and, and i was hooked well, you, um, that you was like my, good comic that books. was my gateway drug um <laughs> so for me um Getting ready to dump DC Comics, you know, I might as well just cut a limb off because that was just unfathomable. Yeah. And then they did something with Rebirth. And Rebirth, they just really captured everything that they screwed up with New 52. Um, so I, I really love a lot of the Rebirth. Um, it's not the DC of old with the exception of Superman. Yeah. Um, well, and I say that because it's the newer characters of the DC New 52, but the Superman in the Rebirth line is actually the Superman before everything went topsy-turvy. Um, I'll give you a book. I'll give you a series to read, Scott. You'll like yeah. it. You're going to have to give me a second because I'm, I'm a little lost. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I haven't been keeping up. Like I said, this I'll, is why I want you to take the lead on I, the show. I will give you the give, converted give Superman and the Superman Man of Steel. They're they're fantastic. Man of Steel, that's the, the new one that just no, recently no, 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 no. The original no, one. I'm sorry. Not Man of Steel. My bad. Slap Randy. Um, Superman, Lois, and Clark. Okay. Um, which is a six-issue miniseries that takes place after the Convergence world. But I will let you borrow those. Quit shaking your head. You'll like them. No, I was, my head went to the... 
Lois and Clark, the TV the, the series. TV yeah, yeah. I know, yes. Yeah. And that's the first thing I thought about, about. Like, I swear to God, if the Superman looks like Dean Cain, I'm burning these things. <laughs> hey, I like the original, the, the Lois and Clark TV it, it, series. Yeah. Nothing was wrong with that. The, the, the problem with that show is it needed a villain. But hey, we're not guessing. <laughs> yes, we're not villain. Yeah, Terry we're Hatcher. Villain. There you go. Oh, that is just messed up. Terry Hatcher is a lovely woman. Okay, we're digressing. <laughs> so, anyway, I saw the Seinfeld the other day, or not the Seinfeld, the next generation where she was operating the uh, transporter, the, the outrageous Akona. And she was pretty hot. Okay, but we're digressing. Um, yeah, so here's the problem with why comics are so expensive, okay? Um, and I'm going to list them off and hold up my fingers because I want to say it's three so reasons, yeah. but I can't remember. Shut up, Madman. Um, so the first problem is uh, the format. There is maybe only one company left in the U.S. and Canada, and possibly two, that still print in that odd size format. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, any of the presses that had them back in the 70s and 80s have pretty much all given way to the other ones to do that. And I think that it's actually because of the evilness of Diamond Comics. I believe they bought the presses um, specifically for that size and told, basically drove out the competition from the other presses who decided, you know what? We're not going to make any money printing these. You, you bought the printers. And I could be wrong on that, but there are only one or two companies that still print in that odd size anymore. So there's the first problem. The second problem is Diamond Comics themselves. They are the only distributor for comic books in the United States um, and Canada and probably overseas. If you have any type of local comic book store or if you have a local drugstore or have newer carry comics, it's all got to go through Diamond. So they literally control the market. Um, and they charge a premium for you to even get into their magazine. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen the Diamond Comic previews. It lists all the upcoming publishing um issues coming out by all the publishers in the comic book industry. And there is actually a story that I read last year about an independent company, not one of the big companies like DC or Marvel or Image or Dark Horse or Dynamite or Boom. Um, I remember when it used to be the big two. Now we have like, like five, five or six. Five yeah. or six that are Which actually... Which is not a bad thing. Not a bad thing. No, it's not a bad thing. But there was a comic company that was trying to publish a new superhero comic they wanted to put out there and wanted to advertise it in Diamond. And they were actually told... We have too many superhero titles now. Um, we're not going to feature your book in an ad. Come up with something else. Wow. Yes. So wow. I thought that was just a huge slap in the face. But, and that was Diamond basically letting him, letting that company know, we control the market. We say there's too many superhero books in our magazine, in our previews now. We're not going to give you an ad. And they're still around? Yes. Well. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm. I've never heard of Diamond. I, I, I so. don't. Oh, well, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, Diamond's the, uh, the the only show in town when it comes to distributing yeah, comics. That, I, that, they're I, it. I went to their Wikipedia on it, and it says They're right up in Maryland. Yeah. yeah. They're right out, up in I Maryland. See, I see that, out of Maryland. Well, that, uh, 97, you know, Steve they Jackson's had antitrust yeah. litigation against them. Right. Well, see, back in the day, there used to be at least two distributors that I remember. There was Diamond and there was Capital. And then yeah, Di- I, I do remember Capital. And Diamond swallowed up Capital. Oh. <laughs> so, yes, they, they are ripe for an antitrust lawsuit. Well, I will say, though, Steve Jeppe did run a uh, really nice museum until it shut down here recently. I, and I didn't that get was, to see that it. That was pretty I, fantastic. So but, I mean, bitter. from 97 to 2000, I mean, they were working on this antitrust violations for the monopoly of Diamond Comics. And then in 2000, November 2000, uh, no further action was deemed necessary. Right. I mean, really? That's a monopoly, dude. That's 
Well, that's again, that's a great subject for another story. But we're real okay. quick here because right. we're, we're down to nine minutes. And the third reason, um, and this is actually kind of the biggie, uh, and I know this from my previous days at, at working at Walden Books and, and handling the, the magazines. Walden Books? What is that? Yes, exactly. <laughs> so magazine publishers um, all sell their product on a returnable basis. So every Monday when your bookstore got in magazines, they took all the previous issues for the week that didn't sell, and they did one of two things. They either returned it whole um, to the vendor, or, and this is the one that just really sucks, they would strip the cover off, throw away the book, <gasps> and just send the cover because it had a UPC code. <gasps> and I can tell you that, yes, this was done with comic books as well. I remember the first day I was given back the comic book to say strip the covers. <gasps> I was like, I can't do this. This is like your religious sin. Cardinal right, sin. that's just wrong. It doesn't matter what comic book it is. But it doesn't deserve that. But unless it's an Archie <laughs> or a Dell, in which case I was totally kind. Um, <laughs> or a Darkhawk. Um, <laughs> all hail Darkhawk. <laughs> but here's the issue. Um, all magazine and periodicals are sold to their vendors with the understanding that they are returnable for credit with the exception of comic books. Mm. So someone, even if the bookstore was sending them back, their main vendor was eating the cost. And that's the whole problem that you have with comic book shops. If you order, say, 30 issues of a book and it tanks and you only sell five, you're stuck with those other 25. You are not, they're going to end up in your dollar bin mm-hmm. because they're on a non-refundable basis. And that's part of why they're so high because they know that once they sell it, you're committed and you're not getting it back. So the but- fact that they're not processing returns. There's only one distributor, and there's only two presses in the world that even make that size anymore is why they go up. Not to mention, in order to get rid of some of that whole flimsiness of the Mondo paper, a lot of them are now on, on thicker paper, and that's more expensive. Right. Yeah. And, I mean, that's obviously part of the cost. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the quality is definitely far better yeah. than what it was when I first started the, collecting. I mean, that's obvious. Right. You know, it's, it's, it's glossier and everything. I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely a better quality book than what it used to be. I but mean, I mean, I can't, can't argue with that. But when comic books first started being printed, they were uh, reprints of comic strips. Right, exactly. And so they used newsprint because it was cheaper. Right. And although it has all the problems with the acetone and stuff like that, it eats itself over time, you have those issues with it. But, I mean, if you're talking about you're paying $3 for a comic book that will basically live forever now. All right. Back then, you paid $0.10, $0.12, $0.15 for a comic book that is eventually going to disappear forever. Right, exactly. And so, I mean, I think... I think that if you switch back to cheaper paper, you could cut the cost a little bit. But you know that book's going to die in 10, 15 years if you don't do, do the whole acid-freeze I don't know. and I, plastic. I, and I, I kind of feel silly putting modern comic books in a bag and a board. Well, because you're looking at it from the collector viewpoint. Yeah. You're thinking, okay, is this two ninety nine comic, three ninety nine comic going to be worth more than three ninety nine in 10 years? Pfft, no. Yeah, I mean, I, I got... <laughs> I got three copies of the bag Death of Superman comic book in my collection. And it's like, I don't know what I'm going to do with those. Right. You're going to retire. That's what you're going to do. <laughs> yeah. That's what I thought back in the day. Back when oh, you thank bought. you. I have a shitload of X-Men number ones variant <laughs> covers. Oh, well, see, yeah, did that's good you, right there. You're did good. Did I tell you my plan for that book? I'm going to buy um, one of each one of those covers, and then I'm going to go ahead and bag and board them and grade them and get nine eights, nine nines on them. And then I'm going to find every other copy of X Men when I can. I'm just going to destroy them. I'm going to buy them by the thousands. I'm going to have a bonfire and drive the price up. That's exactly how you get rich. (laughs) Considering that's the number one selling comic book of all time, you're going to spend a long time collecting those. This this is true. But it'd be fun with a lot of bonfires. Right. Right. Exactly. It'd be be probably kind of satisfying too. (laughs) And each one that burns, you know, it's just like that. 
and then the and numbers then after, going up in and your then head. After that's it right. burns up, and all these dealers suddenly comic shows say, "Well, can I get an X Men number one?" Yeah, sure, thirty five dollars. And the kids like, "What? Thirty five dollars? There's a, there's like a million copies of each one of those." And the dealer's like, "Not anymore. There used to be. <laughs> there used to be until Randy burned yeah. them all. Then now Randall Comics exists. <laughs> you know, the the biggest distributor in the United of States X-Men now. Number one because he bought every single issue of X Men right. number one. Graded them and then bought all the rest of them and burned them. That's genius, I tell that's, you. That's a supervillain plan wow. if I ever heard it. That is definitely a cartoon comic book supervillain idea right there. <laughs> right. All right. So we are down to our last five minutes. Um, anyone got any closing statements, arguments, or just things you want to say? Add. Uh, you said that you have like you had three, like uh, Marvel titles that you were getting. On a regular basis? Uh, what am I picking up now? Let's see. I am picking up... Well, uh, <laughs> I actually may drop it. I'm still picking up Amazing Spider-Man because Dan Slott had been writing it for several years. And, okay. and it was amazing, even though I was royally pissed with the whole one more day and the breakup of the, the marriage thing. Um, Dan Slott just knocked it out the park with that book. It was really good. Um, but now it's being written by, I don't remember. I have to get back to you next week on that one. So Amazing Spider-Man, what else? Um, Peter Parker, Spider-Man. A spectacular Spider-Man? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I'm reading Marvel 2-in-1. Well, actually, it's so it's four then. Marvel 2-in-1, because that's with Thing and Torch looking for Reed and Sue, and Fantastic Four, which just started. So... So I'm looking forward to the DC Black Label comics. Yes, I think they look, those should be those awesome. Look fantastic. I'm my oh, my only disappointment with that is they're going to be doing a reprint of the Batman White Knight series. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't want to sound creepy, but supposedly the rumor was they were going to do some of the unedited stuff because there's a um, sex scene <laughs> between Joker and um, damn it, Harley Jack Quinn? Napier. What? Who's a cure? Who's a cure Joker in this? Um, so, but then they back off and say, "Well, no, it's just going to be a reprint of the regular series." Which I think, if you're going to make a mature label like Black Label, then you need to print the unedited stuff. I mean, that's what you do What's it for. What's the point? Yeah. What's the point? Right. Yeah. Why? Why make an adult title if you're just going to reprint it the way it was originally printed? That kind of. Moot. I mean, is the Comics Code Authority still a thing? I mean, I'm sure uh, it is. Yeah. But I mean, actually, I are they still the good... around? I thought they were gone. Well, let's let's find out. Yeah, I thought I thought I, they disappeared in like 2010 or so. I know the most recent stuff is not approved by the code. Right, so. well, actually, I mean, most they, stuff isn't. Yeah, anymore. actually, because they are because most comics are direct only now. I think the CCA did um, go the way right, of the because, dodo because uh, it's no longer available in 7-Eleven racks for right. kids to pick up. Well, but I but, do miss that though. But right. But remember, some retailers are now getting back into them. Walmart are now selling some exclusive DC material. So right. Yeah, right. abandonment, 2010. And that'll be a that'll actually be a great topic for a future episode. Absolutely. The CCA and oh yeah, how, we could probably spend how, an entire hour on oh, the yeah. CCA oh, yeah. easily. Yeah, not too. Parade of pleasure and seduction of the innocent and some of the. In fact, when we do that episode, I'm going to wear my famous T-shirt of Phantom Lady 17. All right, so that's it for this episode of Lost in a Long Box. I'm Randall. I'm the Madman. I'm Thomas. We'll Love see you. you guys next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.